Father, we love you this morning. And God, we just come before you, and God, with hearts of surrender, and saying we give everything that we have to you. And Father, we just pray that you are honored in our worship, honored in the songs that we brought this morning. And I pray this morning that you speak to our hearts through your word as it's spoken to us. Um, God, have your way in us. God, we love you, and we thank you for this time together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're back on the study of David. 2 Samuel chapter 6. One of my favorite movies uh, is Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's a great show. Matter of fact, I think that was Susan and I's my first date. That was in 1922. But I love the scene towards the end when the archaeologist believes he studied enough of the priest things and he's got the, the vest on properly and he's got all the different gems in his breastplate and the hat and all that kind of stuff. And they take that ark and they're going to open it, which, which if you ever find the ark, don't open it, I think. That show should tell you that. And uh, uh, Indiana and his girlfriend or, or wannabe or whatever past girlfriend, is they're chained to the pole, you know, and, and they start hearing the music. Because I think if you were to uh, open the ark, you would hear some weird music like that. And uh, so Indiana says, don't look, don't look. And he looks in and he says, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And then all of a sudden, those angels start flying around and melt all those Nazis. Remember that? Like they're wax in, in fire. And... It's quite a deal. So they thought that if the, hip, the, 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 the Nazis believed that if they could find that ark and they found the ark, then that ark could be led in front of them and they could, of course, win their wars and they would be invincible. David has now been the king for a little while and he's now in Jerusalem He's now getting settled in, and his kingdom is getting settled in in Jerusalem. And, and it's like he just kind of looked around and said, something's really missing. We're missing out. We, we need to go get the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. We need to go get it, and we need to bring it to Jerusalem. So that's where we are today in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. So he musters 30,000 troops. Think about that. What does that mean? Well, I think that means that whatever he's going to do, if he gets all the real elite people, the real fighters, and gets them together, that what he's about to do is really, really important. It really matters to David. I think there's no question about that. He led them, in verse 2, to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is, throned, who is enthroned between the cherubim. David, he gets these 30,000 men, and he goes to find that ark, to get that ark and move it to Jerusalem. 
David, because of the 30,000 men, and because of the effort that he's making to get the ark, it's obvious that David has great desire to honor God with every ounce of his being. He wants to honor God. I think there's no question that the king side of David is, we are going to be a people that honor God. We are going to be a people that are, are uh, under God's authority, and we are going to honor him. I think there's no question that at this point in the kingdom of David, in his, in his reign, that he had a great desire to make a difference. I think he had a great desire at this point as well to experience all that God has to give. David had a great desire at this point to bless other people. He wanted his reign to matter. He wanted to count for something. And I think that's one of the reasons why he desired to move the ark to Jerusalem. He had a great desire to be part of something beyond their own abilities. And he just wanted to honor God. That's what he wanted to do. Every now and then, perhaps you look around your life and you think something is missing. Something is missing. And, and if you think about it for a while, you may come to the point and say, the fullness of God is missing. All that God is able to do is missing. I, I'm, I'm missing the power of God. I read the stories in Scripture. I hear these testimonies, and I see what's going on, and, and, and I'm, I'm missing out on that. And if there is within you a desire to honor God with every ounce of your being, that has not come from you. That is not your idea. You did not initiate that, that, that desire. That comes from the Lord. If you have a great desire to make a difference, if you have a great desire to experience all that God has to give you, we just sang some songs today about having all that God has to give to experience his fullness. If you have a great desire to bless other people, if you have a great desire to be part of something way beyond you, part of something way beyond us, if there is within you a great desire to see your family honor God and to, to, to see people that you're around honor God, those desires is not from you. They are from the Holy Spirit in you. They are birthed in heaven. Those are godly desires. And there's no question that the idea that David has to move the ark to Jerusalem is a godly, heaven-sent idea. And he acts on it. And we see that David is wholehearted in his action and just the fact that he didn't take any chances. He wasn't holding anything back. He said, find me the 30,000 best troops and let's take them to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And then we pick up verse 3. We see some of the mistakes that David made in his first attempt. The very first thing they did when they arrived uh, in Baal of Judah and got the ark is they placed the ark of God on a new cart. Now, David's witnessed the Philistines do that. 
That's the way of the world. Now, they're on a hill, and they're going to navigate that hill with the ark. It would make sense to use a cart. After all, wheels are pretty good inventions. It would help them navigate the ups and downs. It would help them navigate the potholes. It helped them to be able to move the ark and, and, and transition across that distance. And it wouldn't be as big as an ordeal to put the ark on a cart. But there's a problem. God said the only way you are ever to move the cart is by priest carrying the cart. And so David, the very first mistake he makes, good intentions, wholehearted, perfect desire, doing the right thing. However, he's doing the right thing the wrong way. And he fails to, to pay careful attention to the things, to the instructions of the Lord. And he puts the ark on a cart and he moves it that way. And they take the cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ohio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahau walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. Lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. So get this scene. 30,000 men. No question about effort. No question about desire. They get all the instruments they had. No question about heart. No question about desire. They take the ark and put it on a cart and they worship with all their heart. But they're wrong. They're wrong. You can't question their desire. You can't question their heart. You can't question David's decision to take the ark to Jerusalem. But he put the ark on a cart and used it to carry the ark, and that violated the instruction of the Lord. The lesson for us in this, we can mean well. All our heart can be in something, and we're wrong. We're wrong. We're wrong in approach to God. We're wrong in our uh, reasoning. We do the right things in the wrong way. And it's not honored by God. That's one of the reasons why oftentimes believers bang their head against the ceiling in the kingdom of God. We bang our head against the wall. We do the very best we can do within our own ability. And it's never received by God. It's never received by God. And so here David is doing the very best he can do. And David has done that time and time again. And he hadn't learned yet. 
He hasn't learned that the Lord has provided a way that the Lord has given instructions for a man to obey and to follow. And so if you were looking down from a hillside in this action, I, I believe it would be quite extraordinary, quite spectacular. I think you'd go, my goodness, David is such a great leader. David is such a valiant warrior and a great king, and, and look what he's done. And listen to the worship. Listen to what's going on. But from heaven, God looks down, and he's displeased with what's going on simply because they didn't follow his instructions. And they put the ark on a cart. And they didn't honor God's instruction to never move the ark in any other way but by carrying it, putting poles through the, 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 the metal that was made for it, and you'd have two priests in the front and two priests on the back, and they'd carry the ark that way. It says in verse 6, When they arrived at the threshing floor, of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. Once again, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? That is hard to understand. I mean, isn't that the sensible thing to do? Isn't that the right thing to do? You're, you're walking with the ark. You're taking care of it. The ark, the oxen who are pulling the cart, which is not God's plan, they stumble at the threshing floor. And so that, that cart starts probably moving around and, 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 and you, it's no longer level, right? And so the ark starts shifting and, and, and probably without even thinking, Uzzah looks over there and goes, oh my gosh, we can't have the ark of God fall off the cart. And so very innocently, we think, common sense, he reaches out to steady the ark. But God has also said his instructions about the ark. Man is never to touch the ark. Oh, my. And it says that God's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him down right there and then. And he died right there beside the ark of God. Oh, man. Now, that ought to throw some, ooh, you know, that, that, that's, we need to be careful, don't we? We need to consider things. We need to be careful about what we think is the right way to do some things. We need to think about what matters to God. And, and, and oh my, how can this be that, man, couldn't God come down and say, y'all have forgotten the instructions. Now go get some priests and put that, that car ark up there on some shoulders and let them carry in it. And, and don't touch the ark. Uzzah, next time I'm going to smoke you if you touch the ark. But that's not what God did. Uzzah touched the ark and God struck him dead right then. Verse 8, David was angry 
because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perizuzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. Now, David, he's mad. He's mad at God. God reigned on his parade. This was supposed to be a time that everyone would exalt how wonderful David is. He's the king. He's the leader. He's the chosen one. And he has, he has really honored God in his mind. And he's making Jerusalem uh, uh, strong again, worth celebrating again. We're the mighty people of God. We're the chosen people of God. We have our capital back. We have our holy place back. And we have our ark of God back, which is a symbol of the presence of God, which in times was the presence of God. And it would say to all the enemies around the world, you better be careful of these Israelites. They're back in place. They're not to be messed with. They're not to be taken lightly. And, and I can imagine, so here we go. And, and David is not aware about the cart yet. All he knows is, is that that cart began to move and Uzzah reached out there to grab that ark and, and God struck him dead right then. You know, nothing will mess up someone's birthday party like someone dying. Right? We were having a good time till Uncle Bill had a heart attack. He could have waited until he got home, you would think. And David is mad. He's angry. It says in verse 9 that he understands what had taken place because it says, Now David was afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? God has not honored my honoring him, in other words. So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And it says, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. So David's got a serious issue going on. The wind has left his sails. Man. And so he says, it can't be done. We can't take the ark to Jerusalem. We've got to leave it be. Now, as time goes on, those three months, in verse 12, we pick up the story again. It says, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So a testimony is brought to him. You won't believe what has happened in Obed-Edom's house, David. What's happened? Someone else die? <laughs> Is all of them dead? You know, I can imagine David's speculation. And they said, no, man, everyone in Edom, uh, Obed-Edom's household has been blessed. Now, we don't know what that referred to, but I, I see the rain fell at the right time. The crops were greater, better. The grapes were juicier, you know, no more pimples for Sister Lou. Boy, the household had just been blessed. 
Everyone there is well. They're not having any physical problems, no struggles. The presence of the ark in their house, David has done exactly what you desire the ark to do in Jerusalem. It's happening out there in Obed-Edom's house, there in Gath. And so David, when he hears that, he went there and he brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city with great celebration. It says in verse 13, after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. So what happened? David learned. You know he got back to Jerusalem and he got all his, his theological people together and he says, all right, we had 30,000 troops. It was a beautiful thing. And we put that ark on a cart. You did what? We put the ark in a cart. They said, oh, no, 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 David. You cannot put the ark on a cart. Ah, David probably just went, I can't believe I put the ark on a cart. I can't believe I did it. That's a piece of information I needed to have. And by the way, we hear that Uzzah fella touched the ark. Yes, that's a no-no. All right, if you ever go back, if you ever get enough faith, if you ever get to the place where you're bold enough and confident enough, your fear is gone that you're going to move the ark to Jerusalem. David goes, carry the ark, don't touch the ark. Got it. And so here he goes and he worships after only six steps. He worships. He sacrifices a bull and a fattened calf. He is prepared to worship. He is ready to worship. He's concerned about making only good choices about the Lord. He's not going to be casual about the Lord. He's not going to be flippant. He's not going to be careless about the Lord. He's not going to push the edge about God's holiness. He, he's not going to dabble with the wrath of God anymore. He's not going to joke about the wrath of God. He is going to understand that God is holy. And by George, if God says something to us about how to worship him, we're going to follow in line because of his, what, because of his wrath. Because of God's wrath against unholiness. And so there goes David. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. He got on down to his skinnies. That's what he did. He got on down to his underwear, his holy underwear. And he worshiped the Lord with all of his heart. So David and all the people of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of the ram's horns. First attempt failed. Why? They didn't follow the Lord's instructions. They put the ark on a cart. Uzzah touched the ark. It was a showstopper. The second time, after learning what needed to happen, they carried the ark, they didn't touch the ark, and they worshiped God with all of their heart, wholehearted worship. Now, what's the equivalent of taking the ark 
of God to Jerusalem in our day. We do not have an Ark of the Covenant. There's no information for the Ark of the Covenant with us. We are not to build an Ark. Their God has never assigned us to build an Ark. There's, there's really nothing in building that God has asked us to do that assures the presence of God. So what must we do to honor God? What, was, what, what must we do to revere God? What, what, what must we do to experience more of God than we've ever experienced? What, was, what must we do here now that, that we would experience the very presence of God in our lives? I think the answers is found in that ark. The first thing about that ark it's a box, rectangle box. Wooden is the foundation of it. They put gold lay on outside the box, so it's a beautiful box. On top of the box, there are two cherubim, these angel beings that are on both sides of the box, of the lid. And between those angels, those cherubim, is the mercy seat the mercy seat. It was the place where they would believe and trust and experience the very presence of God would hover over that mercy seat. It, it was never designed that God would be in the box because there's no way you can put God in a box. No matter how hard we as people try to put God in the box of the box of our understanding, of our ways, of our tradition, of our experiences, which we tried to do. We tried to lock God up in a box so we feel better about our own security. But God wasn't in the box, but he would manifest his presence over that ark. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the shed blood of the unblemished lamb and he would take that and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of people's sins. That's the ark of God. That's what is on top of the ark. The Ten Commandments was inside the ark. Those, those two stone tablets that Moses brings down from Mount Sinai after he's been up there doing business with God. Thou shall not, thou shall not. It's the ten thou shall nots. They're inside that box. What does that mean for us? Well, those ten commandments are very important for us. They are a guide for life. They're a guide for law. They're a guide for legal things, right? All, you know, most people's, to my understanding, most people's legal system is basically based on those Ten Commandments. Of course, we've added law after law after law after law, but those ten are the basics of it all. What do those Ten Commandments do for us? Well, it helps govern society, sure enough, but it also does something else very special for us. It shows us that not one single one of us can keep all Ten Commandments. There's no one that's ever kept all Ten Commandments except for Christ. 
If I were to go around the room today and say, have you kept all 10 commandments based on what happened with Uzzah? Tell the truth, right? Have you kept all 10 commandments? No one is going to be able to stand and say, I've kept all 10 commandments. Because by saying you have kept all 10 commandments, you are lying right there, which is breaking one of the commandments. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. What does that say to us? We sure need some help. If being right with God is based on keeping all the commandments, we are in bad shape. We're in a hopeless condition. Because if you take the words of Jesus when he goes through and he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And if you take what Jesus had to say about murder, if you've even been angering your heart against someone, you've murdered someone. So you may come and says, I haven't committed a murder and I haven't committed adultery, but I'm, I'm eight out of ten for sure. You know, or I think I've honored my mother and father. I'm seven out of 10. I'm six out of 10. But if you take what Jesus had to say about murder and about adultery, we know that if that desire or that thought was even in our life, we're guilty of committing that command. And so the Ten Commandments being the Ark of the Covenant does something special for us. It ought to get our attention and say, listen up here. No one has been able to keep every commandment. If being right with God is based on keeping every commandment, no one who's ever lived apart from Christ has been that person. Everyone is condemned. Everyone is judged. Everyone is lost. But the Ten Commandments serve the purpose to show us that we need help. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. And that's in the ark. We need a Savior. A Savior is to come. We need to believe on one who's able to do what we can't do. Jesus. So those Ten Commandments in there give us an understanding of that we are in need of help. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. And then inside the ark was a jar of manna. Manna was bread from heaven. When the Israelites are out there in the middle of the wilderness for all those years, it, it, God provided food for them. And He provided that manna to fall from heaven. And, and, and they could eat that manna and eat the quail, of course. And they had a daily source of food for them. Manna from heaven. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And so that jar of manna being in that ark tells us something else. It tells us that regardless of what the world says, regardless of what people think is right and wrong in this world, regardless of the promises made by this world, there's only one satisfier, and it's this bread of life, which is Jesus and then the last thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant is Aaron's staff. Now, the people been griping and complaining. Moses had enough. Lord, what are we going to do about these gripers and complainers? This is a difficult bunch to travel with. 
If you've ever traveled with a bunch of gripers and complainers, they're a difficult bunch to travel with. You hope they miss the bus. And so they gather the staffs from all the different tribes. And the staff that came from Levi has Aaron's name on it. He's going to represent them. And they put these staffs in a room, and guess what? God does something miraculous there. And Aaron's staff budded out. It flowered. It produced life. And that life produced almonds. And so, because it was Aaron's staff, Aaron became the first high priest of the nation of Israel. Jesus is our high priest. Now, they needed a priest. Moses needed a priest to take care of the sins of people for his own insanity. He had to have some help. But that was an, a, a way of God showing them, just like Romans 5, 8 shows us, but God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so in and on top of this ark, you've got the mercy seat, you've got the Ten Commandments, you've got the jar of man inside, and you've got Aaron's staff. What does that mean to us? That means to us, our moving the ark of God to our Jerusalem is our exalting Jesus. Our exalting Jesus. There's no salvation without the shed blood of Christ. There's no satisfying contentment without Jesus' presence in us. There's no way to be right with God without Christ's righteousness. No way. Man is not right by his own works. Man cannot stand before God and say, I've measured up. I've earned the right to stand before you. I have done all these good works. Now you can receive me. You can accept me because of all this I've done for you. Not one single person can stand before God on their own, in their own works, in their own righteousness, and, and God is pleased to receive them. Not one. Only through the blood of Jesus. And so, back to David's desires. If you desire, like David, to honor God with every ounce of your being, if you desire to see God make a difference in your world, if you desire to experience all that God has to give, if you desire to see other people blessed, if you desire to be part of something that's so far beyond you and others around you, if your great desire to see everyone in your world honor God, we must take the ark of God to Jerusalem. We must exalt Jesus the shed bloods of Christ, the sacrifice, His love for us, the fact that we are right with God through what He's done for us, exalting Him, making Him Lord of us, surrendering Him to Lord over us.
Exalt Him at the church. Exalt Jesus. It's not us. It's not them. It's not Him. It's not her. It's Jesus we worship. It's Jesus we exalt. The preacher can't get you to heaven. Your teacher in Sunday school can't get you to heaven. The, the, the best people you know cannot do enough good things to help you earn the right to be eternally uh, active and know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Only Jesus can do that. We must exalt Jesus. When we exalt Jesus, when we honor His shed blood, when we honor His sacrifice, when we love Him, we, we're in love with Him, we obey Him, we adore Him, we worship Him, we honor Him, we follow His words, we, we live every single day with a heartbeat for God exalting Jesus, lifting him high, and, and we live and breathe for him. Just like the Ark of the Covenant, blessed Obed-Edom's house is the only way for any of us to experience all God desires for us to experience. You got to pick up the Ark and take it to Jerusalem. You got to follow his instructions. Don't put it on a cart. Don't put it in the back of a pickup. Do it God's way through faith, through the Spirit, not by human effort, not through human wisdom, not through the very best that we can do, but by humbly surrendering and honoring God exalting Jesus. He is King. Let us worship Him with all our being. All our being. Help us, Lord, to learn from David's mistake, David's success. Help us to learn from David's heart Father, he's a man after your own heart, yet he's flawed in so many ways. Lord, that in a crazy way, Lord, is so much better from him being almost perfect. It gives us hope. It gives us possibility. Lord, I pray we'll experience all we can experience of you. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, may your spirit fall on us. May your spirit just empower us and strengthen us. Lord, I pray that the ark of God will be, will be among us as we exalt Jesus. As we realize that without the shed blood of Jesus, there's no hope of salvation. Without those 10 commandments, no one is able to stand before you right in their own doing, Lord. It, it shows us our great need for a savior. We need help, God. We can't do it on our own. We can't make it on our own. We don't have it, Lord. And we, we humbly acknowledge that. And we rejoice in your gift of salvation, your gift of forgiveness. Lord, in that jar of manna, we recognize that Jesus is the only satisfier. Jesus came to give us abundant life. May he be our everything. May he be our king. May we live and breathe for him. And Lord, the beauty of the life that's given 
through Aaron's staff. The life that comes in victory, the life that comes in second chances, the life that is given to us that through Jesus' priestly work, we are right with you, Almighty God, through Jesus. As he stands for us in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward, please.